0: Welcome to the Art Stays Here Coalition's new podcast series, Culture Crisis Conversations. In the series, we'll hear from folks affected by the ongoing arts, music, and cultural displacement that's happening across the country. These include artists, musicians, and other creatives, as well as developers, policymakers, funders, operators, arts and cultural leaders, and more. They will share their stories in their own voices to best communicate the impact that cultural displacement has had on individuals and communities and how we can choose to make it stop. Welcome to the Art Stays Here podcast series, Culture Crisis Conversations. Today, we are at New Alliance East in Union Square, Somerville, and we are going to talk with the musician tenants at Charlestown Rehearsal Studios. My name is Amy Bennett. I'm a longtime arts administrator and uh, founding volunteer member of Art Stays Here Coalition.
1: Uh, Hi, I'm Jesse Vengrove. Uh, I'm a drummer. I play in Glacier and in Greylock, both of which practice at CRS. Uh, I've been a tenant there for just over eight years now.
2: Hi, uh, my name is Daniel Sussman. I'm a guitar player, bass player, um, and sort of, I don't know, I play a bunch of things. Uh, I play in a band called Duck and Cover, and we've been rehearsing at CRS for god i think 12 years uh we've been in three different rooms there um we're super happy there we love it
3: uh hi my name's emily doran i um mainly sing in the band hammered saint and i'm also learning how to play guitar in another band um, called fighting fish the fighting fish um i have been at crs for just over a year um my bass player who, you know, tapped me to sing has been there for, I want to say, about seven or eight years. And um, he, I know the the guy that um, got him into the room has been in there for like over a decade. Um, who he used to play just, you know, someone who knows someone who knows someone.
0: Yeah, sometimes so. they get handed down. Yes. Handed yeah. over. Great. Well, thanks for being here uh, today for this conversation. First, let's talk about... Um, Charlestown Rehearsal Studios as a place. Where is it? What is it? How big is it? How many people are there? Jesse, you want to take that?
1: Sure. Uh, Charlestown Rehearsal Studios is located at 50 Terminal Street, Building One in Charlestown. Um, It's a big old industrial building. um, And the studios there themselves have been open, I believe, since 1994 or 1995. Um, They uh, first started on one section of one floor. Uh, Since then, they've grown to have 95 rooms total, spread out over three floors. Um, We think there's somewhere in the neighborhood of around 700 musicians that use the studios on a monthly basis. So quite a few.
0: And what is it like? So uh, Daniel, you take that like what's you walk in, what happens? You know, do you see other people? Are there common areas or how does all that work?
2: It's pretty bare bones. I mean, one of the things that I really like about it is the setting. It feels super Boston, right? You're like right on the mystic. There's sort of you drive through this sort of like kind of super urban kind of parking lot with like a concrete mixing facility and you know it just it looks like a place you're not allowed to be um which i like and then um you know in terms of the building itself they're like it it it's also awesome right there's no amenities there's like a there there are bathrooms on every floor and there's a you know a, a like a vending machine somewhere but like it's really the kind of place you you drive to you park you practice and you go home. Um, there are some, the, all the rooms are different sizes. Um, some are bigger than others. Um, but you know, it's, it, it kind of has, uh, it's sort of a shitty practice space, right? It's like, it, it is exactly what it claims to be. Um, it's not a place where you could really record. Um, it's not a place where you could, um, you know, really do much more than, than, then work on your songs and and work on your shows and and do your thing. But
0: does um, it feel like a clubhouse?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, well, my sense is that it, you know, every, every room is different and every room reflects the people that are in it. Right. It's like, you know, you have all your gear, every room has like all their show posters up and some people have rugs and some people have shelves that they've put in and, you know, everybody has a mini fridge and there's, you know, it's just, it, 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 it kind of has, it feels very, uh, Like authentic band to me, Um.
1: but I would say that the facility doesn't feel like a clubhouse. Like there's historically some other practice spaces in the area that have existed that it's been like the wild west, anything goes. Uh, And Charlestown rehearsal studios specifically, Uh, you know, people hang out outside, like at the loading dock. um, But it's not, it's not like chaos, like frat house inside. You know, everyone kind of stays contained to their rooms, and it's like clubhouse inside your own room, but not chaos.
2: No, it's, that's, that's a great distinction. Like my, my room feels like my clubhouse, you know, (laughs) and, and I think one of the things that's been really interesting about this whole process, which we'll talk about is sort of, you know, some of the alchemy of like the greater clubhouse, right? You know, I think it, it wasn't really until we faced crisis there that, that, you know, a lot of folks sort of poked their head up and started looking around who else is here, who do we know, what can we do? And so it's, it's really interesting to see a community emerge. And, you know, I, I know we'll talk about that, but like, you know, the, the, the building and the grounds themselves don't really lend themselves to that in the same way that other buildings do.
0: Well, and Emily, you've been there less time than Jesse or Danielle. So what's your take on the vibe?
3: I would say it seems like the um, peop- the tenants there are a little bit older than other places and like I was saying, you know, like you were saying it gets the rooms get handed down and um you know, um, years ago when I had been in different locations, you know, and thinking about, oh, if we weren't here, where else could we go? And, you know, CRS was like, it seemed like untouchable. Like if you didn't know somebody, if somebody didn't hand this room like down to you, then you weren't going to get in there. So when I first was asked, I'm like, oh, we're I'm going to CRS. I've never been there before. So and, um, you know. And I rode my bike there and, you know, you know, going up. Um, I mean, I didn't know I didn't know what like what I thought I was going to expect. I feel like um, the the people in my room like to haze, quote unquote, haze new people by not telling them, you know, oh, it's this 50 terminal. But really, you actually have to go around to this other side of the building. And they're kind of like over there snickering, waiting for you to find your way in. And then. Um, but yeah, you know, I thought the elevator was great. Um and uh, the bathrooms were clean, which was great. But other than that, I'm like, yep, this is this is, yeah, like a shitty cheap like rehearsal space. It's just like, ah, I'm home now.
0: <laughs> so it's, it's what you expected.
3: Yes, it's what I expected. It's it's it was exactly what I expected. Yeah.
2: The elevator is actually like worth talking about because it's like <laughs> one, it's huge, but two, it's like one of these like super old school like you know industrial elevators that. Doesn't always let you out on the floor that you want to go to. Like a lot of the stuff is just kind of pre-programmed. You have to remember to close the door at when you get off, or else it just like sits open and then no one can use it. So it's it's got like to me the is elevator is it freight? Sort of, is it
0: freight? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
2: But well, so you know, it's got the big loud door that like slinks. It, it's, it's got a lot of character uh, but it also has all this sort of like quirky nuance of like you kind of not have to know how to use it or else you can't go anywhere.
1: Yeah, and there are two elevators which is which is uh, five star practice space. It's amenity. Luxury. yeah. <laughs> um, and usually at least one of them's working which is good.
0: And for those who don't understand why that's super awesome, can you explain?
1: Um, when you have hundreds of pounds worth of large and awkward shaped equipment, uh, lugging them up and down stairs at four o'clock in the morning is less than ideal. So being able to travel up and down floors in an elevator, uh is
2: fantastic. <laughs> well and the and the loading dock, you know, being able to kind of roll right up to it and exactly. they, you know and the, the, it it's it's really you know
0: It makes a huge difference at four in the morning.
2: It does. Yeah. It
0: even makes a huge difference at four in the afternoon.
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes. Um Tell us who else is in the building
1: right now. Uh, so at the moment, the building is majority self storage space, um, which run by a company called Store Yourself. Um, historically, there were uh, the building was a fair amount of self storage. There were some smaller, like wholesale businesses on the first floor. There was a there was a wholesale tea place, and there was like a wholesale carpet place, and a few other things, but uh in i always forget what year it is right now but in 2022 the building was sold um from the long-time owners to a company called uh, rj kelly who also operates that uh, store yourself and so now the building is is majority self-storage and with a you know with practice spaces sprinkled in there
0: and um so 50 terminal is two buildings one and two what's in the other building
1: there's a bunch of small other businesses over there. I don't really know. Uh, I know there at least there used to be at least two recording studios over there. I, they may have both closed at this point, I'm not sure. Um, I know what's on the topmost floor of that building because I've uh, snuck in there and recorded vocals up there for two different records uh, illicitly. Um, and I think the Museum of Science has a, a bunch of like random storage space up there. Um, but I don't really know what else is in the building. I think there's a screen printing shop over there, actually. Heads Up Screen Printing, I'm pretty sure, is in that building. Uh, and Charlestown AV, that's the other audio event production thing that's over there. But otherwise, I don't actually know at this point.
2: I don't know either. You know, I mean, it's, it, I mean, one of the things that's neat about a lot of these older buildings is that they are rat's nests inside, right? So you sort of can wander around and you see things, but like, unless you're sort of invited in, it's foreboding. So it's know, a secret. I have not snuck into the other building (laughs) and like and really explored but there, are you know it's it's in it's it's totally active right there are people that that work there
1: on
0: one of our first calls there were a couple of folks um from that building that were in like
1: either tech or it was i know joe from charlestown av was on that call yep and his business is over there uh and there used to be um there used to be uh I forget what it was called originally, they changed the name to Revolution Sound, there was their studio there for a very long time, but I know that they closed down, I don't know if it was sold to someone else or not. Great. Um, But, it's a cool spot.
0: So um, can you share why you chose to rent there, and meaning if you chose, you know, meaning why not somewhere else, or um, was it handed down to you, um, et cetera, Daniel?
2: I am in there through the singer guitar player in my band who was the first person there. Uh, Interestingly, he like, like decided to live in his house because it was close to to the rehearsal space that he was renting. He like oriented his life around the the space. Um,
0: Because that's what music meant to him? Yeah,
2: it means to him totally which you know when we were faced with this crisis of like oh we might need to find another places first thought was like do i have to move now which is like you know both tragic and also hilarious the um the uh, so i've been in in other spaces before but everything
0: been like visited or been like that's where you rehearse
2: i have not held a lease at other spaces but i've practiced other spaces if that makes sense um but no, I've been, I've been at CRS for, for a long time because it, it really works for me.
3: Emily? Other spaces? Mm-hmm. Um, I was at the Sound Museum for several years. Um, CRS kind of reminded me a lot of the Sound Museum. Um, not entirely. I feel like we, people would hang out more at the Sound Museum. Um, um, other uh, other practice spaces? Oh, yes. So I was at um, the Sound Museum for several years. And actually, when they first started construction on Roadrunner, one of my bandmates is like, we got to get out of here. This place is going to shut down. And this was years ago. And he would say it like all the time. We got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. And, you know, at that time, there was no place else to go. There was no sum, um, And CRS was full. Like we couldn't. I'm like, couldn't. What about that place? He's like, no, we can't get in there. We can't get in there. It's like a wait list. Um, and, you know, that man ended up um, breaking up. But, you um, we, my band kind of like has two drummers. <laughs> we have our main drummer who's actually going to, um, Spain tomorrow. But so we have a backup drummer and he rehearses at some. So I've been like twice. We went when it was like 90 plus degrees, we went over to some because, um, it was like an icebox box there. And that did not feel like any other rehearsal place I've been to. That was, um, it, again, it was like storage, but it was, it felt huge. Um, And um, there were like lounges and, you know, the bathrooms felt very modern and it was cold. That's the only thing I didn't like. It was like ice cold in there because people, everybody had the AC cranked. And, you know, one of my other bandmates and I are like, no, I want to sweat. You're supposed to be hot and uncomfortable. And so that felt really weird. And also the least the space that I was in was um, much smaller. So, um, I mean, it was nice, but it just didn't have that, you know, that feel it didn't smell bad you know it wasn't shitty it didn't smell musty when you walk in it wasn't shitty yeah i mean i think
2: you want a vibe right and i think different vibes for different people like for me i'm i'm totally in that same spot where like i want i i really want character i want my room to feel like it's my room you know i don't i don't want it to feel like a hotel space that i'm like kind of you know just like super clean and anonymous um But I also know that like I have friends who are at some and they love it because Mm -hmm. it's like, you know...
0: Well, let's also point out, sorry to interrupt. So what what Emily's referring to is some studios, which is in Malden. It's run by Bob Logan, friend of us and friend of many. um, And he used to be at EMF and, you know, involved with Saw Museum and other things. um, But it's brand new. So it's not... It's just not broken in yet, is, well, is the issue.
2: And they've, I think they've done an excellent job of sort of designing it. Like, I think the thing with a lot of practice spaces is I don't actually think they were designed as practice spaces. It's Correct. more like, hey, these are rooms that we could put people in. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, it's like a, a friend of mine was, like, raving about the fact that they put the electrical outlets, like, four feet up so that you don't have to, like, get on your hands and knees to plug all your stuff in. And it's like... That's a thing that with like, thought, yes, with thought, it's like it's it's really you know, and and I think that you know, it's 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 awesome to see spaces coming up that are thoughtfully you know engineering and designing designing rooms with a purpose as opposed to just wedging in you know musicians to to existing spaces wherever they can fit them. But agreed. Um, but I also kind of like to be wedged in. I like I like my spot.
0: So <laughs> there's pros and cons to all to all of them. Um, yeah. Has anyone uh, rehearsed at Studio Fifty Two?
2: I've only been to the loading dock, and it's amazing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're joking?
2: No, it's a. Really I'm nice the new loading. one or the old one? No, the old one.
1: Yeah, I I was inside Studio Fifty Two once, but I was never actually I never rehearsed there seem nice it's and we're kinda, actually like talking Charles. about loading docks. We are, yeah I mean, like you haven't su-
0: been inside to the actual rehearsal studios but, but the loading dock. it
1: gave well that's the important the it's the so i don't know i grew up playing drums in my parents basement and then band practice at other houses were in everyone else's basement and so you either load out the rickety basement stairs or you load out the like bulkhead door and that's what it is and that's what i grew up doing and cool that's great but when you when you uh you know, are not, you know, 18 years old, and when you have, you know, 30-plus-year-old knees, and you, an elevator <laughs> is nice. You know. Well, okay? and, 8, and 10 up, up, valuable gear. Up. And yeah, well, yes, and gear that actually is, is worth some money. Um, but no, it's super important. It's the, like, little things that, that help. Um, that, you know, at, like at Charlestown, you can, you have a loading dock that's right there, and you can park right there. You're not, you know, like other practice spaces where you would have to maybe find street parking. Maybe there would be a spot in the lot. Maybe not. Who knows? And then, you know, lug your gear up and down stairs is not fun. Building docks are
2: important.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. And um, well, it we- depends. I mean,
2: I think, it, again, it really depends on the nature of band that, you know, it's like yes. there, there's something really cool about living in Alston and being able to sort of walk down to your spot. And not having to really worry about parking and worry about all of the like logistics of like sure. show stuff and and that you know that's the thing that CRS really doesn't have right. It's not like a neighborhood spot just based on where it is. At least not for me, you know. Um, and I think that's true for a lot of the folks that 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 do rehearse there. Yeah, definitely. Um, whereas like Studio Fifty Two and Denby Street and the Sound Museum, to some extent, like the were like these like total hangout spots for people you know after the show they would
0: well and emf was that yeah emf was that
2: a hundred percent totally
0: so um talk about who uses your space how many bands how many people i don't think um everyone listening to this knows that bands share spaces and why that happens and why it's good jesse Oh. oh Well, go ahead. go ahead.
2: I
1: don't know. <laughs> uh, my current room has uh, two bands. Um, where and there's six of us total. The weird thing about my room is that I'm in both of the bands, which is not as common. And one band is only there's only two of us, so we have a small amount of people in our room. I think uh, comparatively, but in the past we've had uh, in previous rooms that we've been in. Uh, like my first room there, uh, there were three bands that shared the room and we each had like our designated days of the week that we could use the space. Um, and I mean, I know of other rooms, uh, in the space that house 12 to 15 plus people that, you know, in different various band configurations that roll in and out.
0: And why is that? Why, how, how, to? how can you do that? Uh, because they work different days. Well,
1: yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, It's generally, so why it happens is generally because of either uh, money, you know, for sharing rent, uh, and or convenience. So before I was in CRS, I was in two different bands, and both were practicing at different practice spaces, which was just a logistical nightmare for me. Especially for a drummer. Yeah, for a drummer, it was awful. Uh, A drummer who also bikes everywhere. (laughs) It's like a disaster. Um, and, uh, so I was paying rent in two different spaces and I had my stuff in two different spaces and it just sucked. Uh, so then consolidating all of that into one space, uh, made it cheaper for me, a little bit more expensive for the rest of my bandmates, but, uh, having everything in one consolidated space was very convenient for everybody. Um, and, uh, it also meant that for our room in particular, we kind of have ownership over the 7 days a week because you know it's it's just the two of our bands and we have intermingling members which makes it easy but in other spaces it tends to be a convenience thing and also uh, a monetary thing you know i think
2: that's how it, i mean that that was that, that's my story as well and i think that that's super common i mean it's funny there's this you know it, basically you want as many people as you can get in the room before you start to lose your ability to actually move around because you're boxed in with like uh, you know 10 bands of gear so it's it's really like there is if you can manage to like like I was I, I had a room there were three bands one drummer played in all three bands and you know there one guitar player was in two band you know it was basically like six people in three bands and it was great because we didn't you know it was
0: Less gear, more the, people. The
2: perfect ratio of
0: like you know, like people, to, people.
2: to to gear
1: to space, which is a thing. <laughs> See, my bands are both really dumb, and we have only six people, and we probably have twelve people's worth of gear in the room. <laughs> so,
0: well, that's the other thing about um, daily rehearsal or hourly rehearsal versus monthly rehearsal is that just so that you know, for folks who don't know it's also a place to keep all your stuff
2: yes yep which, and that's really important you know I mean, and
0: that includes you know not just a drum kit um but all of the cabinets amps cables PAs, extra string merch, merch, merch yeah, yeah. Um, winter all the clothes records, dirty boots that you buy and then that you don't sell <laughs> yeah um it becomes if you um when some when i'll say when jim my husband was cleaning out the sound museum you wouldn't believe all the stuff that had to come home well i'm sure you would um but it just piles up (laughs) everything you collect from tour yeah um other band stuff you know just uh and memories big time
2: Yes, and you know, and again, it's like part of the like patina of a practice space that you've been in for a long time is like that. That was stuff. very
0: antiques roadshow of you. <laughs> yeah, I don't
2: know. that was uh, that's not the reference I was going for, but thank you. We'll, we'll cut.
0: We'll cut that. <laughs> no, you it's, it's, I, I love it. antiques
2: roadshow. <laughs> uh, but you know, I I, j- I just mean that like all of the memories, all of the stuff, actually, you know, it 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 all adds character. And yet there is a tipping point where you feel like you're just like, you know. Too many. You're just boxed in, right? Um,
3: how many people you got in yours? Uh, there's over 10. I don't even know how many. I had to look at the spreadsheet that Jesse made, I think. Um, and it said, <laughs> I think it said 13. But right after some Museum closed, there were even more people in there cuz there were people who were desperate and I don't know how they Bob is the guy who the is um you know the well we don't have leases but Bob's the guy and I don't know where he would find these people but um you know there's there's I don't even know how many bands are in my room to the point where no there's like a house kit we have a house drum kit nobody keeps their drums in that room um you know you bring your breakables you bring you know your um kick pedal or whatever you want everything's there but like nobody stores drums in our room and um you know even some of like the amps and stuff like our guitar player he doesn't keep his stuff there um but and we i don't even think it's a money thing probably at first it started that way but now it's just a need thing so like my um, like I said, I'm kind of like, I call it one and a half bands, but we have Thursday nights. And then I think Sundays after six, like we can't be in there until after six on Sundays. And then, you know, sometimes somebody cancels and, you know, we can be like, Hey, Bob, is the room open on this day? But I mean, there have been times where it's like, Oh man, it would be great to be in on their Wednesday, but we can't cause somebody's in there. Um, and there's probably more people in there that need to be at, you know, this point, but at the same time it is the sort of the energy. It is kind of cool. Um, It's nice to know that there's a lot going on. Yeah. Like it. So, you
0: know, like there's lots of people doing lots of stuff Mm -hmm. in your room. Even though.
1: Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I look at it just like, just like roommates in an apartment. It's that same vibe where it's some people like, you know, some people like having roommates and you like having all this activity happening and you like the like intermingling between things. Uh, And some people don't like that at all. And you like to have your own, space and your own thing and that's it and you get like that weird you know it's a it's a balancing act i feel like a lot of the times Mm
2: -hmm. there's definitely though i mean to me i feel like you know i listen to your story emily and it's like there is such efficiency at play like you know it it bums me out to know that like in my room there's only music happening in there two nights a week, right? Or three nights a week or whatever. And, and it just, it like outside of my own itchiness around being like buried in gear, like I feel like that's wasteful on some level. And I think it's awesome when, you know, you know, communities can just sort of figure out a way to accommodate like, you know, the, the need, which is one of the things we're talking about here is that there are more musicians in Boston than have places to play. And that's, you know, well
0: let's talk about that. Why is that? Then you want not have an answer <laughs> I mean I, I without
2: yeah without getting into like you know like unchecked capitalism I don't know it's like there's <laughs> there's it, I think it's
0: the rent's too damn high
2: well Boston is a very expensive city it's really hard to to live here and I think it's hard to run a business here it's hard to be a musician here it's hard to be an artist here and like you know most of the folks that I know who are in bands have jobs that that subsidize their passion and that's not like the best right it's like and i and and so that's just on the band level and mm-hmm. you know it's like like god bless bobby for being like you know what i'm gonna make a business around supporting you know musicians who need to practice like, mm-hmm. that's not, i don't think it's a real lucrative business really
0: um no because you don't want to gouge your friends and you know it's uh you might have to go outside of boston to do that but he's doing it and i agree thank god he is um so there used to be more rehearsal there's used to be in different places um different parts of the city south boston south end uh lots of different places but um now we're finding that it's kind of just the i say the ass edge of the city so like CRS in Charleston is the ass at Charleston over there and um, you know Austin is the ass edge of Austin over there and then um, you know even some of the properties that we're looking at for some of the artist groups that we're trying to relocate you just you only get the ass and um i mean part of that is good because like you have said like it's anonymous or it's where you're not supposed to be part of it is that that's where it's affordable or that's where it's industrial and zoned for that kind of thing i.e not residential but it's a huge problem and there's waiting lists all over town hundred musicians deep and sometimes we say there could never be enough music rehearsal in greater boston Build a thousand more rooms, build two thousand more rooms, there could still not be enough. One of the things, um, that's also come out of kind of this work in these conversations is if you think about just the Sound Museum and just CRS, never mind 52 and some and you know everything else that's out there in the wait list, there are so many musicians. So if there's like 700 at CRS and there was 700 at The sound museum and let's say there's another 500 maybe more at 52 and it's there's just so many and those are just the ones we know about not the people who are in their basement or somewhere else or you know doing the hourly thing it's and i think what has been surprising to me is that we often hear about um artist communities and like artist Buildings like you'll hear about, like where there's open studios on the visual art side, right? Like, oh, and especially in Somerville, where we are now, we have Miller Street and we have Joy Street and we have um, Vernon Street and we have Brick Bottom, and the, there's so many, um, even just here, but they are of smaller amounts of artists. So, like, there's more buildings with less people in them. But for music, because there's so many people sharing rooms, it's like the numbers are gigantic and i just never thought about there are thousands of musicians that need space yeah no
2: and and i think musicians need a lot of space actually because they make a lot of noise and you know there's just it's i think it's it's not a very convenient situation you know i think you bring up a really good point too which is that you know the space is sort of the constraining factor and you know i mean you sort of shotgunned out emily like development right and like yeah. you know there's not a lot of like vacant Industrial space, you know, here, here. No, there is, you know, it's a, it's a small city with a small footprint, relatively, and so like, you know,
0: and everything's taken up, and we've been here for hundreds and hundreds of years, and, you know, property values go up, and biotech and other things come in, and like, we made our bed, basically. Um, and I used I'll- to
1: be in a park space in Fenway. like which is wild to me you're not old enough
0: to have been in a space (laughs) in Fenway.
1: (laughs) when i first moved to boston uh the practice space that my band was in was uh in the like underground space in fenway like right near fenway park and it was wild and now it's a giant luxury condo building you know there was also a practice space on boylston street there was a block right near Berkeley where there, I think there's a Boloco now and something else. Uh, and there used to be Pad Thai Restaurant, mm-hmm. which was the best Thai food in Boston. Uh, but there was a practice space underneath there, mm-hmm. uh, which is wild. Who would have thought that there was a practice space on Boylston Street now? You mm-hmm, know, it's, mm-hmm. it's crazy, it's all well, gone.
0: What we and maybe before that time is where New Alliance and a whole bunch of other people, um, were at 1312 Boylston, the tire building, and um that's a whole other story but um
2: yeah i was that woolly mammoth used to be in yes
0: oh so you know oh so you know the tire building we're we're more of a certain age ish
2: <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs>
0: um let's talk about the notion of the uh some people call it the third space so if your first space is your house like where you live and your second space is where you work sometimes people refer to a third place which is like where you socialize where you have fun where you i don't know hang out and um, some of these places are third spaces for artists and musicians. Do you feel that way about your space?
2: Oh, hundred percent. I mean it, it's it, like it, I, I mean, I mean, for me, personally, like I've sort of come to grips with the fact that I'm not on a path to being a professional, successful, like famous guitar player. Um, so why do I do it? I do it because. It's really satisfying, you know. I, I love the dudes in my band. I love playing shows. I love practicing. I like writing. I like all the things. You about are a musician, it. and and <laughs> so when I practice, it's really about sort of you know a, a change of pace from my regular day job, which I also love, but is very different, and you know, and my home life, which I love, but is very different. Um. So you know, like it th- that social dynamic the idea that i have a you know a hobby which is not a word i love but you know it's like it, that i that i can really kind of throw myself at is it, it's personally really valuable
0: i wouldn't call it a hobby i'd say because you are a musician right like i mean that's who you are and it might not be the way you earn a living but it's definitely more than a hobby
2: sure i mean I guess it's I'm... all i mean it's i mean semantics on some level but you know my the point stands right it means a ton to me and like when I am, you know, I, I, I put a huge premium on kind of holding time and holding space in my life where I can go do my thing.
3: Emily? Um, I would say it's almost like a second space. Um, it's that important. Um You know, I I mentioned um, like a previous band that that ended in 2020, you know, as many things did. Um, And it wasn't until last year where I started um, singing again. And it, I'm like, even just the first time I walked into the building, it's like, okay, here, now I'm home here. Now I can, you know, take off the mask of everything that you put on, you know, when you're out in the world, when you're at work, when you have to be around people and be like, oh, this is my most truest most authentic self and I don't have to be self-conscious um I think also when it comes to like songwriting and performing with people or like even just practicing with people and then performing in front of people for me it feels like it's the place where the time and place where I am the most vulnerable but also feel like have the most strength and the most power all at the same time and um so that's you know and that starts like coming together with other musicians and, you know, vibing off of each other and like writing songs together and then like performing them together. And that's, I mean, I feel like pretty almost everything is secondary to that for me, except for my dog. But but yeah,
2: it's a really interesting point, right? It's like, you know, a lot of the rhetoric around a third space is around kind of social chill out dynamic and, and practice spaces are more than that. They are actually working spaces for people. And when, when, You know, for me, regardless of like my situation and my like dreams of grandeur and whatever, like, you know, when I show up to practice, I'm there to work, you know, and and I'm there to work with my band on whatever it is we're doing, whether it's writing or or getting ready for a show or whatever. And there's a there's a real practical function to the space and to the time that we spend there, which I think sets it apart from a lot of other Third third space type experiences.
3: I agree. And also, it's kind of intense, too. It's not just a working space. Um, but, I mean, we do it for fun. We do it because we love it. But I also feel like, at least the people that I'm with now, are we're all very intense. And, you know, we're... And you take it very seriously. Very, very seriously. And um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, rehearsals are fun, but they're also, yeah, they're super intense. They're a lot of work. They're very exhausting. I um, recently, a couple weeks ago, had my first... Uh, um, like back to back rehearsal, I was tired for like three days after that. But it was, I mean, it was great. But I mean, they're real. It takes a lot out of you. Well, if you put yourself into it, it yeah. takes a lot out. Yeah.
0: Is it your yeah. third space? Uh, I. I guess we shouldn't a, rank. I we shouldn't rank them. They're just. Yeah, I don't know. Spaces. It's from. Yeah.
1: It's a necessity for me. So I don't know. I don't. Um, I'm a, so as a drummer. There's, as a drummer who lives in Charlestown with houses attached to me on either side, uh, I basically can't play my instrument unless I am at my practice space. So growing up, uh, I grew up out in Western Mass in the middle of the woods. Uh, my dad was a drummer. Uh, so my poor mom had to, <laughs> had to got, unfortunately got stuck with two drummers in the house, but we had, I had a drum set in the basement. So I could go downstairs every single day, you know, before anyone was going to sleep. And I could play the drums whenever I felt like it um and so for me it's it's uh it's just a necessity i don't i there would be no, there's no other option really um and so it is for for you know it's it's a it's the place where i go to practice for myself um and it's the place where i go to socialize with my bandmates cuz we don't really get together unless we're practicing or at a show cuz everyone you know not everyone lives in the city um and then it's also the place where we go to work. So, like, glacier band practice is generally the first 90 minutes or everyone just talking a bunch of bullshit. Uh, and then we get down to work, you know, but our practices last for four hours, you know, um, out of necessity. Um, so, it's kind of a combination of all things. But for me personally, it's it's a, it's like a baseline necessity. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to play my instrument at all
2: i i I mean i so i think the the dialogue around third spaces is really interesting right because like on a certain level it's an it's it's an acknowledgement that like there's more to life than just working and sleeping and eating and and so when you think about a city and like what makes a city like an awesome place it's that there are all of these outlets for a super diverse community of people to do the things that they need to do to not just be, like, depressed people, right? And so, like, you know, I think that, you know, the arts community and the music scene is a huge part of that. Not as an entertainment outlet, but as a, like, outlet for the people that are a part of it, you know? And so, like, you know... A third... For humanity. It, it, totally, totally. And and so it's not... You know, I don't I mean, I I think that there are tons of days where I'm like, you know, I do not want to go to practice because I've been on a Zoom all day and I just need to do something else. And, you know, and I have a variety of something else that I can do. And that's great. But like, also, I have a practice space that I can go to when I, you know, crave that and i think for me that's really important and i think for a city it's really critical that those options exist you know for for people
0: have you um ever given thought or what do you think about our cities are they aware do they know are they invested I think
2: there's a lot of well-intentioned people. And I, my experience, which is very threadbare and surface level, is that like, holy shit, there's just a lot of like effort that goes into like existing, let alone thinking strategically about how to be better, you know? And, you know, I, I, I my sense of like the Boston apparatus is that it's just like barely keeping up.
0: Well, also, um, historically, uh, rehearsal studio complexes or, you know, band rehearsal spaces, um, have been private operations and, which is great. And, um, many of them still are and will always be. Um, but as things continually, uh, get more and more and more expensive and space becomes more and more and more scarce, um, in this situation, you know we're somewhat relying on government to come in and kind of help i don't want to use the word regulate but i guess maybe preserve help preserve the critical and very small amounts of cultural workspace that we actually have so it's like a it's a helper and a tool
2: yeah and you would like to think that the city is capable of sort of peeking around the corner to see a crisis coming as opposed to being on the back foot and just responding to a bunch of people who are Getting evicted or displaced or whatever.
0: And depressed and despaired and <laughs> yeah. palms and hands. And, and then, and...
2: you know, and then, or, you know, pushing people out, right? I mean, people are literally moving away.
0: Well, and part of the conversation, and I guess I always feel like I have to, I don't know, justify or put it into context, is that yes, housing is the number one crisis in our area, and not just in our area, but across the country. Um, And climate is a problem, and gun control is a problem, and education. There's lots and lots and lots of things that are, I mean, fossil fuels. But, um, and we're not asking of anyone to care more about arts, music, and cultural space. We just haven't stood up for ourselves before, and we're standing up for ourselves now. Because if we don't, we know what happens. They go away. Like, they just keep, we can look at the entirety of Fort Point. Which used to be thirty artist buildings and is now three um, so if we don't if we don't you know intervene and it is an intervention in some ways, um we know what will happen
2: this is I mean I mean so this is totally my first experience with any kind of like advocacy and you know i I don't know mine too I mean so so it's been. Super fascinating to me, you know, just to, you know, it's like the whole experience of kind of, you know, attending and kind of speaking at a city hall meeting. That was a first, you know, there's there there have been lots of like little moments where it's, you know, you get this sort of glimpse into the system, you know, and and I'm
0: that there is a system that you could intervene
2: well, and, and every day there are people that show up to intervene on some random cause, right? And to your point, there are lots of really important causes of which we are one, but like you know the, the idea that like, oh, if, if we hadn't gotten involved, if we had not spoken up, we, we would have been evicted. I mean, I feel that is true like a hundred percent.
0: So let's talk about that. What happened?
2: So in historically the building
1: uh at 50 terminal buildings 1 and 2 were owned by uh one company I think from you know from when they opened back in in the 90s uh and uh, in 20 what did I say in, at the end of 2021 so at the beginning of 2022 we found out that the building that we were in was sold um to a, a real estate development company called RJ Kelly, um, who are based out of Burlington, Mass. Uh, and they, uh, also run, uh, like I said earlier, they run a self-storage company called store you self. Um, so they can, took the building, um, took the self-storage business that was already in 50 terminal, rebranded it to store Yourself. They expanded their self-storage, uh, stuff or er, spaces in the building, uh in the beginning of twenty twenty three, kind of right after the right after the whole Sound Museum situation blew up, um, there was Facebook posts that started going around saying that the uh, C R S was gonna everyone at C R S was gonna be evicted. Um and uh so you yeah, know. Was- what was your
0: first thought?
2: Ah, uh, fuck
3: <laughs> Well, but it was
2: weird right? because like it it was total rumor right there the, like there was no official communication from r j Kelly, and in fact, even you know it's like when when they bought the building, everybody needed to renew their lease, and you started to see like the signs change, but there was no like you know it wasn't i mean they they actually like they they've done a lot of renovations for the building, it looked to me. Like they were like, hey, new owners, let's like let's put some paint on, let's like do the right thing, let's you know and you know, but but there was no suggestion that anything was going to change, and then and then there were these rumors, you know, and and then we would try to get an answer, and like you know, it was like, well, we don't have anything to announce at this time, you know, it's like you know, the, and so you know, I think the 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 lucky thing for us was that we mobilized. Before a, uh, R.J. Kelly had had really gone too far, and um, you know, I don't want to spoil the story, right? Like, no, we're know, telling so, the so tell like, the story. So, so actually, like, it, you know, if I recall, there, you know, there was all this hearsay. Nobody really knew what was going on, and uh, I believe you reached out. How, we ended up on a Zoom.
0: Jimbo Jones reached out to Ethan. Okay. I believe is how it happened. Is that your understanding?
1: I know Jimbo I thought he reached out to Art States here in general. I don't know. I don't know who he reached out to. But it was definitely Jimbo. Jimbo Uh, was the Facebook post that was circulating for sure.
0: And Jimbo is in Kiev Caustic and is a musician tenant at CRS. What's up, Jimbo? Um, so I think Ethan and I talked to him first and then we decided to get a zoom together and i don't know if you were there then but you that's when we got yeah. you
1: yes i was definitely there
0: um and well keep talking so like how did how did so you found out from a facebook post that jimbo posted
1: yes i found out from a facebook post that i think someone cuz i didn't know jimbo so i think i saw like a screenshot of jimbo's post that started circulating around um, so
0: like did you call your bandmates like what did you
1: I'm sure I texted everyone. So when when the building when we got the notice that the building was sold, my first thing that I did uh, was I emailed the new building manager and said, "What's happening? Like, what's happening with rehearsal studios?" And they said, "Ah, you know, business as usual. You'll just have to redo your lease or whatever." I said, "Okay," but I I was like, "Ah, this doesn't this doesn't seem great." And then they started redoing things in the building and we were like i don't know maybe this is okay but it still seems a little funky um but yeah i'm sure my first my first thought was i probably sent that screenshot to the band group thread um where they're like hey guess what (laughs) we're getting kicked out um because it just that's the thing that historically happens and there's some there's some interesting things about like where our building is and the zoning in our building that that is makes it a little easier than other places. Like there's no way our building could get turned into a biotech facility or into condos. Although the previous owner tried to turn it into condos. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was instantly, it was for me, I know it was an instant, uh, like I w- resigned to my life is going to suck. Like I don't know what's going to happen, and this is going to suck.
0: And did it come into play that what had just happened with the Sound Museum, and did that feel like a snowball about music rehearsal? Or yeah. Like
1: so, what we what my band did right away is we started sending out messages and phone calls to all the other rehearsal studios that we knew, uh, and, and going as far out as like Littleton, Mass, which I don't even know where that is, but it's not close to the city, uh, and nowhere places were even refusing to put us on wait lists because there was other wait lists for so long already from the sound museum situation that, that they were just like, no, you, you're not on the list. It's not even worth us putting you on the list. Um, so it was a, it was a mess. It seemed like it was a mess. Uh, and it's, to me, I'm a, I'm an instant, I j- tend to be instant pessimist. And I was like, oh, writing's on the wall. Like, you know, I live in Charlestown. The space is an, an eight minute at most walk from my house. Uh, i didn't own a car at the time i was like well i'm not ever gonna play drums again i guess like i don't know what's gonna happen
2: this is bad um but i but i mean i think that was common i think everybody you know everybody was feeling very pessimistic about it and and you know is on one of the early zooms where you know i think the, you know we were we were thinking about options right and it's like well you know here's what's going on with the Sound Museum where we've we, we we may be able to find alternate space, we may be able to kind of work with the city to like buy a building or, you know, really sort of like, you know, what, what are the options? But nowhere in the option list was like, well maybe we can actually save CRS, you know, and, and, and then and then that came out of, of one of the Zooms. People asked the question and um well you know, it was
1: pitched originally as let's try and get a How scale. would everyone feel about an extension? Right, like can they, we... we were originally told by the middle of the summer, the studio is going to be closed, and that was like as specific as they were getting. So I remember. And so,
0: just for clarification, we were talking in January of yes. ju- of this year, twenty twenty three, working with information from ownership or sorry, rumors that you had until June of 2023. Maybe
2: April, maybe May, maybe June, but certainly by the summer. But to be
1: clear, the the rumors were also coming from the office at the space. So it wasn't just someone overheard someone talking about something. People heard it directly from the building manager.
2: But rumor in the sense that there was not like an official yeah. message a, that, exactly. Yeah, we, we nobody ever got evicted, nobody yeah. ever was told that their lease would be terminated or anything like that.
3: I found out from, you know, my bandmates just down the pipeline. I honestly feel and, you know, this was like just a couple months after I'd gotten back in and I'm thinking, no fucking way. I just got here. I'm not leaving. And also, I just remember thinking the thing that really stuck out to me is like, really, they're doing this the month that people are leaving the Sound Museum? Just this total chaos in the scene because of that. And then now this, like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. And um, I honestly kind of feel like that almost worked in our favor because everybody was already so fired up, you know. And afraid. And afraid. And, um, you know, I, for me, so I heard about it and I, you know, I'm not on Facebook, I'm Instagram and I'm, you know, seeing people's, st- like, stuff was getting, was, you know, filtering over there, seeing people's stories and, um, I don't remember who, what, like which band or, you know, it was like clicking on this story, which sends you to this profile, which sends you to that one. Just looking for information for me, like looking for information like, oh, here's a Google form. You can sign up for this. And I think I ended up landing on like brain arts um, <laughs> and saying, well, you going to help CRS too? And they're like, yes, go to this form. And I think I signed up filled out some google form which is then how i got on the zoom and then you know seeing how many people there are and seeing you and um being so knowledgeable i thought okay there's 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 an avenue now there's you know people are doing things we're not just gonna let this you know crumble like and just leave like all you know the um you know the rehearsal spaces before although that. Not exactly. I mean, I know people there was a huge fuss. When we people, will
0: not go quietly.
3: Yes, there was. Yeah, they will not go or it's like Yeah, or at least we'll go kicking and screaming, which you know is what happened with EMF like I know some people who they were the ones that like the police had to come and take them away But um, you know hoping that it wouldn't get to that point, but if it was I mean, I know I was on board for that but um
0: and to yeah. clarify what Emily's talking about so um, about two to three years prior to this Uh, the EMF building in Central Square, Cambridge. um, Those folks were displaced, and that was between two and 300 uh, musicians and artists and recording studios and even a radio station. Um, And people are still, even to this day, um, hurt and I will say uh, traumatized by the loss and how uh, they tried to fight to keep it, and it didn't work.
2: Well, in my sense there I mean there was a lot of disingenuous rhetoric around the, you know, kind of future and what was gonna happen there. I think the 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 thing the thing with with CRS that that really strikes me is that, you know, I think everybody was really quick to assume that RJ Kelly had this like dastardly plan to like fuck over the Boston music scene. Because we've seen that, right? And and so you know the 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 first thing that we did the first act of mobilization was to get as many tenants as we could to write a letter not a not a threatening letter not anything but just to to let RJ Kelly know how important CRS was to them you know and and we got dozens of letters right it's like and so you know the the the, the epiphany for me was that like these guys, they just didn't know. They were like, they, they they bought this building. They bought it with a plan to like, you know, they're in the they self didn't know storage what they business. They didn't really know what they bought. They didn't know the. So they inherited. What the emotional impact of like the or the need that they were filling in the city, right? And 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 through dialogue, really through, like, I think a pretty successful dialogue. We we were able to educate them, and 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 they're like, oh we didn't know this was so important yeah sure no we don't have to do self-storage and like and so they kind of you know it seems like we're
0: did any of you know that the city doesn't have enough self-storage that was news to me i had never thought about self-storage before and that there was not enough of it is that true oh it's totally true that doesn't surprise me well i mean same situation not enough space i I mean... mean um well i mean within boston you know within greater boston um secondly did you know that there were 95 rehearsal studios in that building like when just before all of this
2: no i had no i mean i like i literally knew how to get from the my car to my space right i knew where the bathroom was
1: <laughs> i mean I, my room is 93 so i knew that there is at least ninety-three. Rooms, yeah. assuming that they were yeah. sequential
0: okay <laughs> yes
1: <laughs> no i did no i knew because because in 20 I forget what year it was, uh, maybe 2019, something, there was an article that came out in the Boston Globe that somehow I got in front of me that the previous owner was trying to turn the place in the condos. And there was this pitch deck we saw that was vomit worthy. Uh, and so I made a f- bunch of flyers and I shoved them under everyone's door and said, you know, sign up for this, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and so then you that ended had up going the bug
0: away. before this happened.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it just seemed like this. That's why my instant thought when when the rumors came around I was like, "Ah, this is inevitable because it already almost happened once. And Now here's new owners, and and the building's gonna go away." Um, but I think, I think the the biggest thing for us is that uh, from those first couple of Zoom meetings, we got a small group of people that that were pretty. Uh, organized and and like not not all over the place not like not fueled by like anger um, but more fueled by like we want to find a solution to this and we want to approach this in a way that is not uh, just walking up to the problem and poking it in the eye a million times um, but instead you know, approach it in a way where where we have, like, legs to stand on and we have integrity to stand on and we are, like, approaching it as, like, reasonable adults. Um, and I think that's, like, that's the one thing, um, from, in my mind at least, that's, like, why we've been successful up until this point is because we did start, like Daniel said, we started with a letter-writing campaign and we started, we got the Mayor's Office of Arts and Culture involved and we got... Councillor Coletta who's Charlestown city councilor involved right off the bat uh, and we got the Charlestown neighborhood council involved and so we got a lot of people instead of just throwing our hands in the air and then screaming at the at the new landlords we instead said hey look at all of this important stuff that's happening around this this is why we think this is important what can we do to figure this out and I think that's like the biggest That's that's the only reason I think we got to this point, because they could have the other big point that we haven't talked about is the building. You know, it's a privately owned building, so they can do whatever they want with their spaces. But the building was also technically not zoned properly to allow music rehearsal. And it wasn't inspected or permitted properly to allow people to be in the building like we were using it. So R.J. Kelly could have instantly when they found that out, they could have instantly said, cool, everyone out. This is illegal. We can't do this anymore, mm-hmm. and that would. And you can't really argue with that. Uh, you know how the building uh, flew under the radar for twenty something years before then. Uh, who knows? <laughs> it's Charlestown. there's, yeah, a, lo- there's you know, a lot of buildings. It's Charlestown. There's a lot to keep um, track of. But but I think that um, I think that the fact that we approached it and continue to approach it in... In a thoughtful and like partnership way, mm-hmm. or as much of a partnership way as we can, is what has made this successful. Otherwise, we would all be sitting in this room right now being like, ah, oh, we lost CRS, you know, and that hasn't happened yet.
0: So let's talk a little bit about, you know, some of those meetings and some of the early days and, um, you know, who all was involved and, but I don't, what did it, you know, how it felt to me? trying to help you guys organize is very similar to the other groups that we work with, but what did it feel like for you guys? Like, did you know each other before? Did you know other people who are now on the tenants association steering committee? Like how, how, how did the forming of it? Like, what did you think about all of that? It's almost like the opposite of being in a band, right? Which is like organic and visceral and emotional and all these things. And then we have like, Get on the Zoom call and let's take minutes and let's get emails and here's the plan and.
2: It all feels so arbitrary, too, right? Cause, I mean, my 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 read was that like you you hosted the Zoom, Amy, right? And 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 you invited the people that spoke to basically, you know, be involved in a smaller group that you were looking for the folks that were, you know, willing to engage and 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 th- that was effectively the group that that evolved into the steering committee which is you know we meet weekly and we strategize and we sort of you know talk about how to do our thing but like
0: let's talk about some of the people who just aren't here tonight so we have max do we know what band he's in
1: uh he plays in the band called malleus Uh, max and i actually used to share a practice space at crs and then he has another project i think it's called the watcher but i'm I could be wrong.
0: Okay. At the beginning, uh, Jimbo was with us and he's in Kiev Caustic, like we talked about. Um, we had Adam Balsam for a while. I yeah. don't know what band he's in. I don't remember that. Okay. I
1: know we have Charlie. Oh, yeah. Uh, who's in North Star The Wanderer. Um, and. That might be it yeah. for the regulars, yeah, yeah, yeah. right.
2: But it's still, it's this like it's a good really group. eclectic it's a good group. Yeah. group of folks. Mm-hmm. Everybody's awesome, mm-hmm. and also like, I mean, I don't know. It's like I'm, I'm, I don't have a lot of experience working with like volunteers, right? And there's this really like funny dynamic where it's kind of like in this. Context, we can't really tell anybody what to do, right? Because people will just walk away. And so, like, you know, I think we had on our side a real crisis that mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. were emotionally invested in solving, and and that was like a, a huge catalyst to get people to to the Zoom. And people people really cared, and that's awesome. And and you know, it's funny. One of the things that we're talking about now is like, okay, I mean, we're not like totally out of the woods, but we feel like we're in pretty good shape. Like, without the crisis there, like how do we continue to sort of keep people engaged, you know, even at the steering committee level. And, you know, it's, so like my, it's been really wild for me just to, to be a part of this process that feels so, so opt-in and so, um, kind of, it's like, oh wait, you mean I can just show up to City Hall and and, and read my letter, and that's how this works? Let's really? talk
0: about the hearing.
2: Okay. Give, a,
0: give us a uh, synopsis about the hearing.
2: The hearing. Okay. So, the hear- <laughs> okay. So,
0: <laughs> Councilor Coletta from Charlestown got together with Councilor Braden from Alston Brighton, and um, they put together a hearing at City Hall to talk about the loss of music rehearsal.
2: Right, it was like up on the 7th floor, which is like a floor I didn't even know existed in in the thing. It's this like amphitheater f- room. It's, it, for it, it's, it's for hearings. It's for city council yeah, hearings. Yeah, no. It felt like a courtroom.
0: And it was formal. And um we got people to write letters, we got people to testify in person and online.
2: There was a panel.
0: There was a panel um mayor's office Office of arts and culture put together a presentation about square footage and what's been lost and what we need and what the problem is um and what i so i'd never done anything like that before either and what i was told afterwards is that that was the biggest turnout both in person and online for a city council hearing except for um rent control
2: Yeah. I mean, it yeah. was awesome. Like CRS showed up for it. Like we, you know, so it's this room. I don't know how many seats there were probably like 300, something like that. And and we basically filled one of the like the groups of seats, which was, you know, we probably had 40, 50 people there, which, you know,
1: mm-hmm. um, that'd be a great O'Brien show. <laughs> it would be a great O'Brien show.
2: And, and a lot of people spoke and a lot of people spoke very eloquently, you know, about, again, really sort of. I, you know, the thing that I liked about the tone, it was not aggressive. We were not there to, like, talk shit about R.J. Kelly or to, like, slam the building ownership or management. We were the there city. to talk about how important this was to us. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that message, you know, it, it resonates because it's really honest and sincere and... Mm-hmm. and and relatable
0: well and i think we um some people showed up to testify that i mean i had never known i remember there was one guy who was like a teacher a music teacher i don't remember that guy's name um and uh kevin and you know just lots of other people that have wanted to be involved with this i also want to acknowledge paul raj paul um who you know has lent his voice but has not been able to make some of the meetings and um it was pretty energizing i thought coming like being at city hall and like all rock people and um kind of what came out of that and um and a wbu article came out of it and it really opened the conversation on a government level in terms of like addressing it and trying to figure out what can be done about it um We still have to follow up with that working group.
1: Yeah, we do. The the teacher was Rajan, who also, he was actually the first person that I shared a practice space with at uh, CRS. And then he was there because he was in the Berwick building. And then the Berwick building got shut down. Uh, so so there weren't only people from CRS there. There were people from, there were people from the Sound Museum there. There, were, there was uh, at least Rajan from the Berwick, if not a couple other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was, a, it was a, definitely a... For those who don't
0: know, thing. the Berwick building was a um, music and arts uh, practice and workspace in Roxbury that um, was kind of, I want to say, condemned. Um, it was also flying under the radar for a long time. And um, those folks got displaced as well. We have a problem. Yeah. It's I don't know if we go as far as this is called an epidemic okay. um but it's but uh, I mean
2: here's the th- it's like I I appreciate that the building that RJ Kelly is taking the time to bring the building up to code right because I mean the issue with I I think you know when you're talking about buildings that are on the ass of humanity <laughs> or of culture or whatever like you're two clicks away from something that's like actually tragic, right? If there was a oh, fire, yeah. like if there was something serious. And so like, you know, I, I think it's really important that like, I don't know. I, I, I'm just, I'm, I think, I think it's, I'm, I have a lot of respect for the RJ Kelly folks for stepping up and taking care So let's care talk of
0: about that. So basically what happened is, um, they heard, they heard the whale, <laughs> they heard the cry, um, to keep music rehearsal they agreed they therefore had to um get the proper um occupancy permits and change the code um which is working with isd which is the inspectional services department and then that leads to um working with the fire department and uh getting everything up to code for life safety and um then we had to Ask all of the tenants to get ready for inspections.
2: Right. And so they, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it, I mean, it's been kind of a pain in the ass, right? Because like the clubhouse nature that we're talking about actually is a function of like furniture and furnishings and stuff like that. And, and, and things
0: that are flammable.
2: And things that are flammable. And so as part of the inspection, you know, folks have had to get rid of some stuff.
0: So they got shelving. So and, they got dumpsters um, and we organized. Uh, the tenants to get rid of what is a fire hazard, and um, they've been back and forth with BFD.
1: Yep. Yeah. So basically, basically over this, I probably early summer. Uh, I think at this point it was when the talk of inspections kind of first started really happening, um, and they did. You know, they put out a notice saying, you know, everyone has to get rid of these types of items in the room because of. Uh, you know, life safety issues and, and fire issues. Um, and then since then, uh, so there was this initial big push about inspections and we all kind of thought, oh, the ball's rolling. This is going to be resolved really soon. And it's it's that ball is still rolling. Um, and there's not been concrete updates, um, but we do know that RJ Kelly is still working hand in hand with inspectional services and with um, with Boston Fire, to um, check a million items off the list in order for BFD and ISC to check their box and, and let the building be permanent properly so we're still the zoning was changed to allow music rehearsal which was a first big hurdle that seemed to actually go pretty smooth but the inspection part of it um, has been a lot of a lot of the landlords having to jump through hoops basically mm-hmm. and find out, Normally what happens is you build a building, you get it inspected, and then you occupy the building. And in our case, the building was built, it was occupied, and now they're having to kind of roll back and figure out the inspection part, which makes things a lot more complicated.
0: And there's a lot of people involved.
1: There's a lot of people in the building. There's a lot of people on the city side, you know, on the inspectional services side. So it's it's a complicated process, and it's more complicated because of the backward nature of how this is all going. Mm. Um, It would be much easier if, you know... The electricians finished their work and the fire alarm company finished their work and the drywall people and the construction people finished their work. And then inspectional services came in and said, yeah, this all looks good. But instead, uh, it's the landlords having to go back and talk to contractors who did work who, who knows how many years ago and say, hey, what did, when you did this thing, can you send us these records about these things that you did? And then they have to double check everything. So basically they are, the landlords are trying to gather all of the information about what was done in the building previously, uh, instead of tearing everything out and having to redo it, which would be a worse. nightmare. Yeah. <laughs>
2: it's, in, it, it, I, it's in all of this, I think, you know, I, I think we've all sort of been searching for a bad guy. Like who, you know, where's the villain in the story? And, and, and actually like you know we haven't found it you know i i've 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 felt very supported by the city by the arts, by the arts council my sense is that like even in this like crazy process of inspections and whatever else like BFD just wants to make sure nobody dies in a fire, right? Mm-hmm. It, like, inspectional services want to make sure that, like, everything is cool. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants this to happen. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, it's it's complicated.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? And it's complicated for what you just said, because it's already occupied and so on and so forth. And, and we have to backtrack. And there's 95 rooms. You know, if yeah. there was two rooms, the list would be much shorter to try to get through inspections. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about the Tenants Association and the Steering Committee and organizing and that whole thing and you know what have you thought about it um what's been good about it what's been challenging it is new to me it's hard to work in groups it's hard to work with volunteers it's hard to work with volunteer groups um everybody's got jobs everybody's got their first space their second space their third space and some people are in more than one band you're in more than one band you're in more than one band um You know, people have some people have kids, some people have pets, some people take care of their parents. Like, how do we find the time to do this? How do we get on the same page to do it together? How do we find consensus? What what have what have your thoughts been about all that?
3: I don't know. When you say all that like that, it's kind of incredible (laughs) (laughs) that
0: like we're all
3: here and that like everybody's all here. But also, I feel like that just goes to show you how important this is um how valuable like art and music is to not just the community but just what it means to be human i think it's what it means to be human and um or at least the you know expression of the human condition and um yeah
0: well christina um who's on um the coalition with us um she always talks about I guess you know the why for her, like why she's involved, is to try to communicate and lift up the value of artists in communities. Not not like in communities, like out in the community, like to people's lives, um, and that art or music, or you know, art music is art, etc. Like that, some forms of art. Are in like every single thing in this room has been designed, whether it's that box of granola bars or the t shirt you're wearing or this amplifier, that there's creativity. I mean, sometimes combined with technology, but um, there is artistry in every single thing in our lives. And most of us don't think about it or, you know, how was it made and was there a space where people figured it out? And, you know, sometimes we talk about. Well, I mean, like, talk about making records, right? Like, it doesn't just happen. You come up with ideas, you riff on it, it changes, it evolves, someone else brings their ideas to it, maybe it gets combined. You get really good at it, you practice it, you practice it, you go in a studio, you record it 100 times, it gets mixed 100 times, it gets mastered, like, there is a whole process between it being in your brain or in your hands to someone else's ears, And a lot of people don't know about that and it's okay. They don't need to know about it, but we need places to do it. And, um, if you live in the city or city ish, like you're saying, you know, you might not be big enough to have your stuff. You might not be able to play loud music. You might not be able to, um, have enough space for your gear. Like it's, we need these spaces so that, um, artists can do their craft and so that people can come together and work collaboratively. Um, this problem isn't just like we're we're focusing on individual artists, studios and musician um, rehearsal studios. But this is true also of performing arts as a whole, as a sector. Um, we have close to 20 original theater companies in the greater Boston area. Most of them don't have their own rehearsal spaces. They share, they rent, just like other places. And it's space. And not having enough of it and it not being affordable is kind of what we're here to solve. So we'll talk more about how to get people involved and what have some of the challenges been or, or when have you been um, surprised about people's involvement?
1: I mean, I think so on a, for me personally, it was easy for me to get involved in the beginning. It just happened to be at a slowish time for work. Uh, And it's something that for me personally was very important. And then there was also the fact that there was a group of people that started getting together um, that was easier to... To propel things forward you know it's 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 sometimes hard just to kind of go out there as a single person and be like I have no idea what I'm doing right now but if you have a group of people that say hey we all don't know what we're doing right now you know we can kind of figure something out together and that for me was super helpful Um, I said this from the get-go a number of times but but being super involved just allowed me to channel all my anxiety into doing something about it, as opposed to just sitting home and being like, "Well, this is fucked up, I guess." Um, <laughs>
0: We're never gonna make yeah. it. Good.
1: So, so that's that's what I think it was was really instrumental in, in getting kind of the whole process moving and being able to like bounce ideas off of each other and being able to to balance the like the. Th- thoughtfulness versus the like me wanting to poke you know the landlords in the eye um and and kind of channel that so i think that the the group work aspect of it for me was super critical um and i also can get very fixated on something and and this was something that i felt very strongly about um so it was it's still continues to be an easy thing for me to to think about and deal with you know weekly daily you know I, I did think any, about it daily for sure
0: <laughs> did any of you think that we would be here doing a podcast talking about it I never did no I
2: although I mean I don't know I mean it's it's like I think the sort of the really neat thing for me was that you know you came in Amy with a sort of a, a, a message that like if we if we mobilize, we can affect change. and and I think that f- for me personally, that was like exactly what I needed to hear in that time, you know, and and uh, you know, and and so I totally agree, Jesse, like you know, kind of setting up recurring meetings where we could process all the stuff that was going on and think thoughtfully about how to channel a lot of the emotion into constructive activity was like, it was a really satisfying experience. Um, you know, I just, I liked doing it and, um, you know, I think the, the folks that came out of the woodwork, we actually have this like really neat group that is like, you know, we we're all very different people with very different kinds of personalities and talents and, and, you know music and the whole thing but i feel like through the luck of the draw we ended up with i think a pretty like compatible group you know i think we're and solid we work pretty well together um and and it's been so i don't know how much of that is like normal um
3: I was just thinking that, like, is this just what happens? <laughs> right,
2: you know, or is, or is literally, is this just sort of like, you know, well, a weird look of, of all of
0: the thing? groups? I mean, we've um, kind of, you know, offered or work with the same kind of process like we you know we believe in forming tenants associations so people can speak in one voice and have all the information uh and be powerful we you know then normally say 700 people are not going to be able to work in a group so we come up with a we're calling it a steering committee it could be called a working group or whatever task force um and there's usually a small group of people who have the time and the willingness and the skills to like do this kind of work and then we bring that work back to the bigger group when it's time and blah and blah, or bring it to the public or to the media or to the government when it's time. So the, the model is kind of the same overall. Um, the thing that's been really interesting, you know, with this CRS, and we, I mean, we've explained it, but we haven't kind of named the crux of it, which is that regarding um, the Sound Museum, and I guess we could say uh, the Berwick Building and some of these other places, um, the cause was development. Properties were sold, and in that, tenants got lost. Um, In the CRS situation, ownership changed, uh, but it's a rental situation and not development, and um, therefore, um, the ability to intervene. When there is development, the city can has some wiggle room in intervening in development. There's a process, at least in Boston, called Article 80 where there's different checks and balances and different ways to you know, consider the community impact. When it's just an ownership and rental situation, there's really nothing the city and government can do, um, which is one of the reasons why we had the hearing, because that is something that we can do. Um, so I guess it's been a lot more um, tenuous in terms of leverage or pressure Well, that's Um, the
2: neat thing is that we have zero leverage, actually, right? We did not have any leverage other than the, like, you know, the passion and information that we were bringing to R.J. Kelly as owners. And that's that, you know, I think that one of the one of the things that I think came out of the hearing was the sense that, like, if the if the city or if people find out about some of these plans early then the you have way more options than if you then if you don't and i think about that a lot with us right rj kelly was on this path they didn't have to ask for permission to do anything we just kind of found out that they were planning to do this thing and we got involved and we were able to have a conversation that actually had like a mutually satisfying outcome right mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and that only happens because we were there when we were there before they'd actually like tried to evict everybody or done well and other renovations or signed stuff with the city that would have been hard to really unwind you know well,
0: that combined with i think the climate of what's going on regarding arts music and cultural displacement between the work done at Humphrey street and the stuff with 119 brain tree and then the sound museum. And then you guys, so like this, this is a topic. It's a trajectory. There's conversations about it. So I think those two things combined for sure. So what have you learned? I'm looking at you, Emily.
3: You are looking at me. Um, what have I learned? Um, I mean, so I feel like in conjunction with this, um, what I was also starting to learn from working with um, another nonprofit is that, um, you know, different kinds of power and um, that uh, the amount of power that we have um, in numbers and, you know, like you think going up against these, um, you know, developers or, you know, the building owners and that, you know, they have they have money, they have power and money and that, you um, that we have just as much power in our numbers and you know they have dollars we have humans and we have hearts and that um, we have votes and votes too and votes too um but that yeah you know if we can come together and you know like stand united and you know you know use our voices that i mean look it that has what has made a difference here um and that i think right now it's the idea of how to like keep that momentum going um you know like you were saying now that you know the initial like the initial fire has been put out um you know keeping that you know keeping this going and keeping the 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 tenants you know at least them aware of what's going on so you know whether it's crs or someplace else in the future that um you know People realize that we do have strength and power in numbers and seeing, you know, sort of learning that being taught that and then actually seeing it um, happen before my eyes, you know, with in this place that I was a part of um, is pretty is pretty powerful and motivating. I feel like that at least maybe that's part of this this group, this dynamic here. Is it's, it's contagious. See- is seeing that. And, you know, that's so motivating to. um so that's, I mean, that's what I've, like, learned but seen in practice, seen it come to fruition, at least so far. <laughs> what have you learned?
1: Um, I knew you were going to ask me that.
0: <laughs> Everyone's getting I know, asked I mean, it. <laughs> I've learned,
1: I feel like, I feel like I've learned a lot of practical things i like i've learned like kind of what role my city councilor has and i've learned that there's a neighborhood liaison for charlestown and kind of what, what he breen. does yeah sean breen is great i really love sean breen uh, i do that sounds very sarcastic i really do love sean breen he's great um and i've learned you know kind of more about the the um, bpda the BPDA, uh, for better or for worse and the the Mayor's Office of Arts and Culture and so like some practical things and some things about inspectional services and, and code and all that stuff and so there's been a lot of practical things I also think that um, that I personally have learned better how to work in a group um, which has been very helpful um, and also that Um, it takes it's just a good reminder that things that you prioritize are not always someone else's priority but that doesn't mean it's not important to them also so so um, you know it's okay to to badger people about something if that's, you know, if it's something you know that they care about and you just have to keep bumping them and say, "Hey, following up about this thing. Hey, can we set this meeting up? Hey, can we do this thing?" Um, it's that's not a bad thing, you know. I used to be a little hesitant about that sort of stuff, but it's I think it's fine to do and it's beneficial and that's just what makes things happen.
0: It's called engagement.
1: Yeah. Well, and advocacy, right? That's mm-hmm. like the whole. That's mm-hmm. the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's not for everybody, exactly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I, I mean, that's probably like the thing that I've picked up more than anything else is that like there, there are so many things that make me so angry, just in general, right? And and actually, there is a practical outlet for all of it, you know. And 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 that in in this particular case, there was a thing, and. It was like we we could we could have sat back. I think you used the words right. We could have just like raised our fists and sort of you know screamed at the sky and you know. The we, man know is some, we, we know some we know some people
0: that do that too, right? Well, and and
2: I do that, but like you know, in this particular case, it was like, wait a minute, like we don't have to sit idly by, and and so we got involved, and um, you know, in a world where people talk about like kind of small government and the idea that like you know. I don't know it's like this has been in a lot of ways a distinctly American experience for me <laughs> it's like wait a minute it's like we showed up and we changed the course of action based on like our own like rhetoric
1: and we need passion. our own schoolhouse <laughs>
0: rock song like, right I know I agree
1: with that I think that this is this is the first time this is the first time that I've ever really it's not even being involved in local politics but this is as involved in local politics as I've ever been in my life before uh, and it's interesting. It's interesting. I've learned a lot about that and that, I mean, you, you, we still haven't fully accomplished what we've set out to accomplish, but we are much further along than I think anybody in that would have imagined. Um, certainly i than I would have imagined. Um, and it's really interesting to know that you can, you it sounds so cheesy, but you can do—you can do things. Like you can try and do something, and go to the people who have the the ability to do that, and be like, "Oh, they care about this. We can do something." Um, and you know, I, are there a lot of factors into how that has played out in our scenario? Sure, but it's possible to do things.
2: <laughs> no, and and I, you know, and we had help, right? It's like yeah. you know, I I I think it's really important to acknowledge. The like the support that w- I felt as part of the CRS community from Art Stays Here and, and and the sort of introduction to kind of the bigger kind of city systems that I feel like were kind of put in place and kind of laid out for us by by you all. So it's been super neat just to, to <laughs> kind of to be a part of it.
0: Thanks for listening to the Art Stays Here podcast series, Culture Crisis Conversations. You can listen to all of the episodes from our website, artstayshere.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our partners, New Alliance Audio, New Alliance East, and The Record Co. And thank you for the funding from Boston's Mayor's Office of Arts and Culture. Join the movement at artstayshere.org.